0: Thank you for joining us for another edition of the epic podcast i'm your host dave Meekum. really happy to have back into the studio today well i say studio it's really zoom it's one of those social distancing things that we're doing right now but ton bettis joins me again from the usu extension office and ton thanks for coming back today
1: yeah you're welcome it's always a pleasure
0: we kind of teased everybody a couple weeks ago when we did our first gardening podcast that we'd come back and talk about some easier things to grow we've already talked about soil prep, raised garden beds, just the real basics of getting your gardens ready. Here we are back again, and let's talk about considering for the beginning gardener, something easy to grow that's not too complicated, doesn't take a lot of maintenance. So let's maybe talk about a few of those veggies. Just right off the top, what would you throw out there for easy veggies for a beginner?
1: If you were planting right now in the cooler season time of the year, the first two I'd plant are radishes and peas. Uh, they're just two tried and true plants that especially the radishes will give you quick returns to where you have just like a 30 day wait and you have edible radishes. And then the peas because the seeds are larger as long as birds or something don't get the seeds out of the ground, they will germinate and because of the size of the seed, they're just really reliable. Okay. So that's something we put in now because it, As we've noticed over the last couple
0: days, we're really not out of the cold weather yet. It froze, where I live, it froze last night. I'm sure it did in lots of places. We had a cooler evening. So that's something you have to be aware of.
1: you definitely need to watch the weather. The thing that I like is that, especially if they're just seeds in the ground, the soil absorbs a lot of heat. And even though areas last night got down to 22 or 23, the soil... Stayed probably in the high 30s or low 40s and the top couple of inches. And so that seed would be fine. And then a lot of these crops down to the mid to low 20s are perfectly fine. And so some of the colder areas of the Wasatch Front may have needed to cover with some things if they have had cool season crops. But they're somewhat forgiving. And that's why those two for this time of year are fairly reliable.
0: As we get a little bit later on in the year, get into May, and where we kind of get away from that frost-free day, give a little cushion behind us, what are a couple when we get into the warmer weather that would be easy?
1: Three that I think are quite easy are sweet corn, the various kinds of tomatoes that you do from transplants, and green beans. Those would be three, especially green beans, that if you have kids, will come up fairly easily. and they're another one that you're usually harvesting green beans before you do almost anything else in your warm season garden.
0: Right. And probably one thing to differentiate for people when it comes to green beans is there's a couple different types and they're very different to grow and that's pool beans and and
1: bush beans, right? Yes. And if you have limited space, bush beans are going to be much better because they'll get about two feet high and wide and then stop but the pole beans can easily climb anywhere from six to eight feet into the air, and they do need support. Otherwise, they'll just sprawl all over the ground. Now, if you do have the room and you can trellis them, you generally get about 30 to 40% greater yield off of a pole bean as compared to a bush but the bush beans are nice for small gardens
0: right and if you're beginning and you haven't done this before it's a lot easier to grow the bush beans you don't have to provide that structure to trellis anything and it's just a little bit less when you're doing it right out of the gate as far as the amount of effort you have to put into it but on the upside if you grow them and you like them then when you do put that infrastructure in to grow them it's always there and you've got it. You can grow your beans there.
1: Yeah. Now we do recommend rotating, and so sure. you would want to plant uh, other crops or require trellising in that spot. And have, if you have room, you'd want to rotate so you don't have the same crop in the same spot right more than one out of three years but yes it you know if you don't have room you can grow the same crop in the same place for two or three years before you really start to run into problems and then you may need to look at other solutions that we could cover on another podcast but you know
0: this is probably not the time to get into crop rotation and things like that but sometimes you just have a limited space there are things you can kind of do to mitigate it but usually you just kind of have to give it a break once in a while
1: You do. And so if you love tomatoes and grow tomatoes in the same spot, grow them for a couple of years and then rotate into something else for a year at least, and then rotate back to the tomatoes, anything you can do to break a cycle up of the same thing in the same spot for five or 10 or 15 years is always good.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the magic one we're talking about today, and that's the tomato. I think that probably most beginning gardeners who when they decide that, hey, I'm going to try it this year and give this a whirl, have tomatoes in mind. They do. I don't don't know if the extension does research, but it's got to be the most popular garden
1: vegetable Well, the number of questions that we get per vegetable crop, the majority of them are on tomatoes. And it's just such a ubiquitous thing that, you know, if people want to grow something, it's usually tomatoes. And then in association with that, we get salsa gardens where they want, peppers and onions and onions are something that is a discussion for another time they need to go in now but the peppers and tomatoes I usually grow two of the three and then I'll go to a gardener's market and find local onions because there's just so many out there that you can look at whether you want sweet or more pungent or whatever but my salsa garden is two-thirds complete usually And
0: that's actually a good point, just real quick aside, that we're living in this world where we're guarded against COVID-19, and we're trying to isolate ourselves, and you can still go to the nursery, you can still get your onions and your tomato starts and seeds and everything. Don't be afraid of that. You can go buy those products, they're open.
1: No, so far the state considers garden centers and farm stores critical infrastructure And because you can grow your own food, and it may be a good thing this year with everything going on with this COVID-19, you know, it it looks like that it may be, even if you just have a little space, a good, not just for the mental health and physical health benefits, but maybe just a little bit of security to have some variety later on in case we're all living off ramen noodles.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the fact is, it does get you out of the garden. It does make you active. You are growing nutritious foods to eat. It's actually really good for your mental health. It's great for your kids to get involved. But let's face it, the number one reason to have a garden is to get the only decent tasting tomato you can get.
1: (laughs) It really is. And, you know, that second best are the gardener's markets. But if you can grow it yourself, it just always tastes so much better.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about this in, in other circumstances before. But just really quickly, those tomatoes, those nice, beautiful red tomatoes that you see in the grocery store, are never going to taste as good as the ones from your garden. And it's because of the way they have to process them, get them into the grocery store
1: and truck them in. Well, even how they're bred from the get-go, these things are bred to have tough skin, to be really firm, and be able to be shipped across the nation or even internationally from places like Mexico and arrive at the store intact. And if you tried to do that, especially with an heirloom, It would be mush. Never happen. You'd never happen. Yeah, it'd be tomato stew by that time, and they pick them green. They do, and they they're gassed with ethylene gas. A big facility uh you know most of grocery stores own them if they are a you know a regional or national chain and so they're they're gassed with ethylene gas and that causes them to turn red but they don't really turn much sweeter than the day they were picked and that's why a store-bought tomato just never really is meets the standard of something out of your garden
0: yeah they're not bad for you and they taste okay but they're just never going to equal what you can grow at home
1: No, and I actually was up in Canada three or four years ago, and they have a team that are breeding tomatoes for the grocery store market that's trying to restore some of the flavor. And they actually showed that there's good evidence that the more shippable a tomato is, the fewer flavor chemicals when i say chemicals i mean in a good way the flavoring that makes a tomato tomato are actually in the fruit and they can breed some of them back in for a shippable tomato but they blatantly said that a shipping tomato is never going to taste as good as something out of your garden because you either have to choose one or the other
0: right and so You know, you've got this tomato that quit developing and, you know, the sugars quit developing and everything the second it came off the vine versus yours that ripened on the vine, fully developed as nature intended, and right into your house as fresh as it gets and you can't get a better tasting tomato. So that's probably the main reason the tomatoes are so popular as a homegrown vegetable. And we say vegetable, yes, I know that the scientists out there are saying it's a fruit, but we're still going to call it a
1: fruit. Mechanically, it's a fruit. Yeah. Locally, (laughs) it can be a vegetable. That's fine. Right. But there are tons of varieties
0: that we have access to around that we can grow. And I would imagine if you're a beginning gardener, the first time you walk in and you look at all those different tomato starts in your local nursery, you're going to scratch your head and go, oh my gosh, which one do I grow?
1: You know, for a brand new gardener that has never really done anything, I think that a good mix for just easy to grow at good yields would be Sun Sugar, Early Girl, and Celebrity. Oh, you name two of
0: my favorites. Yeah, and those
1: three (laughs) tomatoes are easy to grow, productive, and will give you good flavored tomatoes. They're not heirlooms or anything like that, but they will give you a good harvest and they're readily available
0: sun sugar for people who don't know is more of a cherry sized tomato it's golden when it ripens it's gold color it's not red but you are hard pressed to find a better just munching on it tomato than a sun sugar
1: i mean they're good in salad if you like your salsa a little bit sweeter they're great for that I've used them even in chili sometimes to add just a little bit of natural, like a you know, pot of chili to add a little bit of natural sweetness. And they, they cooked down a little bit, but they actually did add some good flavor. And so I really like that little tomato. That's one of my favorites. And probably the final selling point for me
0: is every year in my garden, I will plant at least two sun sugar plants. And they grow large. You need a lot of area for them. But they produce a lot of tomatoes. And my kids, the first year I grew them, once they tasted that tomato, would go out there and pick them on their own and just munch right off the plant. At that point, I was sold. If my kids will do that, that's a fantastic thing.
1: It is. And it's one of those things that I've even had people tell me that their pets, you know, the dogs that never have touched anything in the garden, all of a sudden start yeah. raiding the sun sugars and they have to fence <laughs> it off. <laughs> I've had my dog, dog eat the tomatoes sick. too.
0: It's crazy. This, that's how good they are.
1: And that's a, yeah. that's a
0: variety that's readily available at the nurseries in Utah. I've, not, I've never been to a nursery that didn't have.
1: Yeah, and the reason I recommended the Early Girls and they're a little bit smaller tomato, golf ball to maybe racquetball size to give right. some a reference point. But the reason I recommend this one is that it ripens earlier than most other varieties. You'll get it 2 or 3 or sometimes 4 weeks earlier than something like Celebrity. The Early Girls have decent flavor. And they're usable in areas that have shorter seasons. And so if you live in Colville or Heber up in the Cache Valley, it's going to be more reliable than, say, you know, some of these longer season ones that you need, you know, until mid-September before you see any fruit. Right. And so hence the
0: name Early Girl, right? And there's always something that you give up for the advantage that you get. And it seems like in any variety of fruit. So you give up the size and maybe a little taste, but you get them earlier, right? You do.
1: And it's something that if you cut it up and ripen it on the vine, cut it up and eat it fresh with a little bit of salt and sugar and pepper, however you like to eat them, I think that you're still going to be a lot happier with it than something from the store. Oh, yeah. Heavens, yes.
0: Now, you mentioned celebrity, and that's my go-to tomato. I plant lots of celebrities every year and lots of reasons for that. It's not the largest tomato out there, but it's still a good size. The plants are fairly disease-resistant. The tomato itself tastes fantastic and you can use it just about any way you want to. It's good for salads. It's good for bottling. It's good for salsa. Just about any application you have for tomato on a burger celebrity is a great choice,
1: at least for me. It is. And I think that we are conditioned as a local population to expect that celebrity flavor to be what a tomato tastes like. You know, it's, that style of tomato has been grown for a long time and it's one that as you said is just useful for almost everything it's high yielding I mean it it just I've grown it in test plots for five years and every year it was in the top one or two yielding and it just never really had a lot of problems as compared to a lot of other tomatoes and so it's one of those that it's just the useful tomato and there's a lot of others you can grow that do different things, whether you want different flavors or different canning tomatoes or sauce tomatoes. But this is the one that is just the utility tomato of just good for almost everything.
0: And if you look at the time from plant to when you're able to harvest, it's not the fastest, but it's also not the longest. It's actually pretty good. It is.
1: And you know, I've, I've trialed other tomatoes that yield more And a lot of them don't perform every year the same way. You know, there was one called Charger that the first year I grew, it was incredible. Tasted as good. And then the next year, the fruit looked pretty, but it had a condition called coring that the inside of the tomato gets a lot of really pithy, just nasty tasting tissue. Mm. Somebody doesn't get that problem. And it never has to, you know, it might be one in a hundred, but Celebrity is just a well-adapted tomato to the Utah climate.
0: Yeah, it's my favorite. Now, we mentioned there's tons of varieties out there. These are just a couple of our favorites, but Better Boy and the Beefsteaks. I mean, there's all kinds of tomatoes out there. And yeah, one of I mean, the fun one things,
1: of, back from the 70s and early 80s, Jet Star and yes. um, the Hamson tomato, which used to be uh dx 5212 mm-hmm. you know those i i actually don't like the dx tomato and i know i'm going to get run out of town because that's like the Utah tomato <laughs> it, it cans well but i have never found a more miserable tomato to can and pick they're small like early girl mm-hmm. and for me if it's going to take me 30 percent longer That DX, I'm not ever planting it again because of that problem. And I know I'm going to get pitchforked and, (laughs) you know, everything along those lines. But I like the celebrity because it cans well as compared to a lot of other tomatoes.
0: But this is the great thing about a garden and especially about tomatoes because there are all those varieties. And the one that you hate might be the one the next guy loves. But the cool part is you get to experiment with them, right? I plant vast majority of all my tomatoes every year are always going to be celebrity, but I always experiment with a couple different varieties just because I can and because it's fun. Uh, there are heirlooms out there for, for beginning gardeners, an heirloom. Go ahead, go ahead and explain what an heirloom
1: is. Top. An heirloom is a tomato that was developed generally during World War I or before. Some people can say World War II, but World War I is the accepted Victorian era. And it's open-pollinated, so the seed comes back true to type about 97 or 98% of the time. So in an open-pollinated heirloom tomato, you can save the seeds. They were what we grew usually before World War II. And after World War II, scientists and breeders started crossing tomatoes together, two different strains or whatever it was, and we got what are called hybrid tomatoes. And the hybrid, it's not GMO, but they've crossed two different tomatoes that the first generation, we know what we're going to get. But if you replant the seeds, they come back as something different. And so heirloom, open-pollinated stuff almost always comes back true to type. Hybrid stuff does not. Right, and the vast majority of tomatoes out there, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ton, but are hybrids. They are. If you go to the garden center, 80% of them are going to be hybrid and that's not a bad thing. A lot of them are organic, you know, USDA certified organic and that's fine. It's just that a lot of times the hybrid tomatoes are bred to have greater yields and they're bred to be disease resistant And one thing you sacrifice is some of those unique flavors that you get from some of the heirlooms. And that's why people grow the heirlooms so much is that you can get all sorts of colors and all sorts of different flavors that's different than kind of that homogenous hybrid tomato flavor.
0: Right. And my perception is that the heirlooms have been kind of making a comeback over the past few years that kind of had a resurgence in popularity. The nice yes, thing about them, you, you can save the seeds and regrow them and do that kind of thing. There's a little bit of work and effort there to do that, but it can be done and you can get some really interesting looking tomatoes with some of the heirlooms, purple tomatoes, if you want them, for example.
1: The black Cherokee or purple Cherokee purple, yeah. is one. Um, you know, there's many of them that are very available and easy to grow. If you go to the garden center, you're likely, and a lot of them have creative names, like the bloody butcher, <laughs> yeah. um, mortgage lifter, mortgage lifter was developed during the depression and a guy paid off his mortgage by selling starts of it to others. Brandywine, Brandywine is one of the tomatoes for flavor that all other tomatoes are sometimes compared to as a standard.
0: And that's really Um, common to find in your nursery, Brandywine. It
1: is. And I honestly, personally don't like Brandywine because it's just too tomatoey for me. I like a sweeter tomato and brandywine's very acidic. You know, and there's just so much personal, but there are so many, you know, the zebras and Mr. Stripey. And (laughs) if you're growing a yellow pear, that's an heirloom variety. It's another extremely common one. So there's many of them out there that you can have fun with for salads and canning and things that are just really fun, even salsas. I love it. Tom, there's
0: probably a lot more we can go into on the whole tomato discussion, as we both know. Let's pause here with it and maybe come back in a couple weeks. We'll kind of wrap up this tomato discussion. In the meantime, if you're following our podcast and you're going to take this on, take the next week or so and go visit extension.usu.edu and explore some of the vast information that's there on tomatoes and a lot of other vegetable crops that you can go ahead and plant in the garden this year. And then in a couple weeks, if we can come back and get together one more time, we can talk about planting. It'll be about the right time to safely plant your tomatoes in a couple weeks without having to protect them. And maybe we can go into that. Does that sound okay, Tom?
1: That's great. To be continued.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Well, thanks for joining me again, Ton Bettis from the USU Extension. Really appreciate your time, Ton, and joining us, and we'll look forward to doing it again. Thank
1: you.